Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, let's pray. Father God, thank you, Jesus, for your gospel of grace and your goodness, your long-suffering, your loving kindness towards us this day. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, that the scales would fall off of our eyes and the, and the dullness from our ears, Lord God, that we would really comprehend the depth of your love for us, Lord, the power of your salvation in us, Lord God, and that we would be delivered from this gospel of guilt, the law, shame, condemnation, and fear, Lord God. I pray that you would cause people to hear this, that would understand, and that you give me words that would speak speak with wisdom as the oracles of God. Lord, and there's always disputes everywhere we turn. There's always disputes about things that probably in the end are not the main point. So let us, Lord God, be wise and um, we bind the powers of darkness that have so altered the gospel of Jesus Christ. I bind you, devil. You are exposed and forbidden by the word of God, the sword of the word, and the blood of Jesus Christ to continue your operations against us, guised as uh, goodness, guised as truth, guised as a gospel that is nothing but lies. And so, Father... May everyone who hears this get it, and may they be rejoicing in the abundance of your goodness. Amen. Welcome to Rescue Radio. Hey, it's, uh, it's another opportunity to talk with you guys and, and see where you're at. You know, um, we have been working, and probably part of them we should actually. Uh, you know, we're technically always working, aren't we? We just got to work to survive, basically. We work, we strive, we seek, we try to figure things out. We're always going somewhere, doing something, hurrying here, get schedules there. We're just kind of programmed to do that. And we don't really think about resting and being and being okay, for one thing. That being okay is a foreign concept to most of us. Um, really, we don't be okay. We just escape for a few minutes and then we go back to being not okay and working at ourselves again. And um, that becomes a, a really exhausting kind of way to live. And, you know, uh, for the the believer who is so desperate to please God and wanting to do everything right, this becomes a real trap and the devil sets it up. So tonight we're going to be talking about grace and the guiltless gospels. I know we've talked about these subjects way many times before, but I'm just going to keep at it until we, you know, until we uh, got something else to talk about. No, Um, seriously though, people are um, frustrated uh, seriously frustrated um, about not being able to keep up with all the demands of being a Christian, supposedly. They feel like they fail, they can't kick their addictions, they commit suicide because they just can't do it and they're so overwhelmed and discouraged. I mean, not everybody commits suicide, but some just walk away quietly from their faith um, and their abundant life in Christ Jesus. Some uh, end up becoming very bitter against themselves. Others are God. 
Um, but some seriously do. They end their lives. As a matter of fact, that was the case for a very dear young man just this week. Um, and I believe part of the reason is because he just couldn't be good enough all the time. And uh, that's not even the point of the gospel, really. It's not that we have to be good. It's that God is good and we're righteous through him. So let's look at the word tonight for a, few, for a little bit and um, start with Paul again. I love Paul. He's so straightforward and he just hits things right head on. He says in Galatians 1, 6, he says, I marvel, I marvel, I'm, I'm amazed that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. Uh, which is not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And he's kind of nailed it right there in a nutshell. There are some who want to pervert you. In other words, there's a contest going on about not only God, but the right gospel and, and who, who, uh, over who saves us and how we get saved. There's, there's, there's disputes. And the enemy has purposely set this uh, con- conflicting, uh, counterfeiting system of gospels in place so that we can become discouraged and confused. But Paul says, you know, I marvel, you're turning away so soon. How, how did that happen? He says in Galatians 1, 4, uh, 3, we'll start with 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that in every single gospel that Paul uh, wrote, before you get to verse 4, he's already said this in one of the first four verses, grace to you or grace, peace, and mercy from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Always grace, mercy, peace. How can we miss the gospel of grace and goodness? I mean, how do we miss it? I guess it's because we don't read it. We don't see it. We go to church and we hear other things um, a lot of times. So he says, grace to you and peace from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, does this sound like an ogre God, a God who's mean, a God who can't wait for you to fail, fall, has a big baseball bat ready to hit you over the head? When he's talking about loving one another, he loves us. He wants us to forgive one another um, bear one another's burdens uh, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, that you know the the whole the whole theme is God's peace, mercy, and love, including His grace and forgiveness. And yet, that's very often either misused, abused, or not spoken of at all. And um, so, people, a lot of the Pharisees of His day, Jesus contested with them because they were still into the legalistic format of having to do certain things in order to be okay going forward. He says, um, Galatians 1, 4, who gave himself for our sin. He gave himself for our sin. He became the sacrifice. That was the thing sin demanded. That was the thing sin needed to have in order to let go of us was a sacrifice. And that sacrifice for sin required death. It didn't require a basket full of good deeds. Remember Cain and Abel. You know, one was offering a sacrifice, the blood of the lamb, that would have been Abel, and one was offering a basket of fruit, which would represent his, the fruit of his labor, work, works. And, and um, which one did God accept? You know, God was not playing favorites here. It's simply that to get the atonement and to continue at that point in time, it was simply a, 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 a type of the forgiveness. It was a, the blood sacrifices of all the lambs were uh, in place of until the blood of the lamb could be shed. And so this was kind of a, a symbolic, uh, you know, foreshadowing of 
the coming of the Lord and his death on the cross. And so this was very important because this was always what God said it was about. He never said it was about anything else. He just said, you have to do this until Jesus comes. So they had the Day of Atonement. They put the lamb, the blood on the lamb. They were good for another year. But now after Jesus comes in Hebrews, it's done once and for all. But back to this blood, the issue is the blood of Jesus, the love of God, not our works, not being worthy, not making it about God owes us something in that we're so good he has to let us get to heaven. He doesn't want to keep us out of heaven in the first place. He wants us in there, but it has to be through the salvation that we we get through the righteousness of Christ. So here, listen to this. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God, our Father. So it's the will of God, our Father, to deliver us from this present evil age. And the way he does that is through the gift of his Son, offering himself as the sacrifice for our sins. This is the simple gospel. This is grace. This has nothing to do with good works, really. It has to do with accepting the sacrifice, accepting the, uh, the atonement that God provided for us. Now, let's talk about this. If you're listening and you want to call in, ask a question, please do. Here's our number, 347-215-8051. And for some of you, you may have heard this before, but it is such an incredibly big and important subject, grace versus um, the guilt and the, and, and the other Gospels, that we have to, in law, you know, where's law fit in? It's really wonderful to be able to understand it. It's, it's, it once you get it, it's like, um, realizing that, you know, you did not have to, for example, go to breathing school to learn how to breathe. The law requires that you go to breathing school to learn how to breathe and you understand the mechanisms of the lungs and the, uh, the bronchial tubes and all of that. So before you can get your license to breathe, God says, no, 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 just breathe. It's okay. And here, I'll give you some free air to breathe while you're at it. So it's like, that's grace. Giving God giving us just the ability to to live, breathe, be, um, as opposed to having to earn and learn everything before we can have what we need. Going on to Second Timothy, we're going to look at that. He says, um, "This is a, this grace that's been given to us." Second Timothy chapter two, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse seven through twelve. And this is a very very favorite and uh, famous verse. God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and a sound mind. So here we see a contrast again, um, that God's gospel is a gospel of grace, not fear. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear would say, am I good enough? Have I, have I sinned? Oh, no. Um, penance. Um, uh, I failed. I, I, I sinned again. Fear says, oh, no. What am I going to do? And fear, of course, is from the devil. And, of course, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And that's another problem. If, if Jesus has come to, to, to deliver us from this present evil age, obviously there's an evil one who's making this age evil. And most people don't want to talk about it. You know, what, what, what do people think about? What, what is important to you? What really is the priority of your life? Right now, stop and think about it. Right this second, as you're listening what is the biggest fear in your life? What is the biggest concern, the biggest distraction, the biggest, uh, yeah, distraction in your life right now? Is Because 
what is, is it trying to, you know, what? Get some money? Is it trying to make somebody love you? Is it trying to, what is the biggest distraction in your life right now? Because it's all about fear. It's not about rest. It's not about being okay. It's about striving. What is the biggest fear? Think about it for a second here. If you can identify the fear, as the Lord will show you what it is, then we go to the next step, and that is what's the lie that fear is telling us because we're trying to, fear is trying to push us into a place where we will take matters into our own hands. And that's not the gospel of grace. That's the gospel of works. So I've got to do it myself. So going on, Second Timothy, if you think about this, write it down and call me and we'll talk about it. And as you're thinking about it, I'm going to read verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So look at Paul here. He's actually suffering. He's, in, he's not ashamed. Do not be ashamed. He said, you don't be ashamed either. We didn't do anything wrong. We're suffering, you know, not because we did something bad. Uh, we're suffering because we did something good. We, we, we're suffering, um, prisoners actually, because of the gospel of grace. Obviously, Paul was not uh, popular in his belief. And was being, he actually was rocking the vote and messing up the system because the system loves law, rules, legalities. He said, well, if there's not laws, then what's going to happen? Well, you know what? Laws were given for the lawless, not for the lovers of God. Laws are given to keep the lawless in line. Lovers of God already are in line because they love God. And God does not see their sin anymore because there is nothing to see. It's all covered up with the blood of Jesus. And though we're not perfect, we're still um, walking in righteousness and um, practicing a pattern of um, following God in obedience. So the power of God's gospel got Paul in trouble. And then he goes on, verse 9, who saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works. How much, you know, all of us, a lot of us were raised either with no church or the wrong kinds of churches about works and commandments and church commandments and, and holy days and genuflecting and uh, you know, whatever, you know, all these rituals. And, and you know, it, it was just kind of like a way to control the masses. <laughs> masses. There's no pun intended there. But anyway, um, <laughs> and the masses control are controlled by the mass. But anyway, so people, because of their desperate desire to be good and because of the constant prodding of guilt and shame and failure and the, the accuser, they're always so unhappy with themselves that they're really ready to just go ahead and, and do the works. He says, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before, before time began. This, this whole thing about law and about works, and about us being guilty, and about not recognizing the grace of God, the purpose of God. You miss the whole purpose of God's whole deal if you go with works. Then you miss God himself. You miss his character, his nature, and then you are in you know, a, a, a very bad place when it comes to understanding the love of God. Because when I mess up, then what? What's God's purpose for my life? Did God not know from the beginning you were going to mess up? Does he not know everything? Did he not write that into his plan? Did he not understand that, you know, he can work through failure and mistakes? 
Did he not know the devil is out there to constantly accuse and destroy us through those accusations if we listen to him? Yes, but God knows that if we know his purpose, his heart, then we will be kept safe in the love of God. Because otherwise, you know, when things go bad, things go wrong, you could blame God. You know, why God? Why did you let this happen? When you understand, however, that God is for you, not against you, and the devil is the one against you, but it seems like we're always blaming God or looking at God as being the one not for us, and the devil somehow is this nice guy that really isn't all that bad. You know what I'm saying? Um, but if you also understand the purpose, the greater picture, the bigger picture of this cosmic chess match or war, if you will, between God and Satan for the souls of men, you'll, you'll see it. If you start looking, you'll see the moves that they're making on this board. And it's not, you know, it's, it has nothing to do with wanting you destroyed. God isn't about that. He's about completely wanting to save you. But a lot of times people um, don't understand that if you, because they don't know the word enough. So you, you really need to understand. I'm not trying to be condescending, but for example, um, God is, either God has an, as an opponent, the enemy, the devil, or God is insane. Because why would God say, for example, to Abraham after he's promised him a son and he waited to the last minute and before the last minute, um, Abraham, you know, uh, thought maybe God wanted him to get this son through Hagar. So he had a, a son born of a bond woman who's called Ishmael. Teen years later, Isaac comes along. And uh, so Abraham was, you know, set up. And, and not only did God have a player on the board, Isaac, but Satan had a player on the board at this point in time, the son of the bond servant. So you see, that was the, that was the law. The law versus grace. The law versus grace has been coming down the the eons, the generation, the ages, forever. Then you see in the in the next set of um, the next generation, you see Isaac has um, a wife, Re- Rebecca, and guess what? They have twins. And why did they have twins? Did God, you know, God? Why did God let her have twins when they just fought, fought, fought? They tried to kill each other. Um, why? It would have been a lot peace, more peaceful if if Jacob would have been an only child, right? So why did God let Esau be born? Well, because, again, I believe the enemy petitions the Lord God to put a player on the board, let him put his player on the board as well. Not to say that Esau himself was evil or went to hell. Not to say that Ishmael went to hell. God actually honored these guys and gave them, you know, many descendants. But the thing is, it has to do with the law versus grace. It has to do with the battle. Then when Jesus arrives on the planet, you've got the same thing. You've got the Pharisees holding steady, and then you've got the condemnation that they were bringing on everyone, including the woman taken in adultery and the, the woman at the well. So, going on, we see that this is very clear. It's a gospel not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the gospel of Jesus Christ abolished death, that in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, there's a, a little comment there, um, and it's very um, interesting. It says here, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 
The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. Then he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? Here he's talking about work, labor in the Lord. It's not in vain, but he's not talking about it as a means of salvation. He's talking about it as the thing that the product of salvation comes out of our love for God. Out of our love for God comes work. Work comes out of love. Work is not a substitute for love. We, we love God, and then out of that love comes the work. But just going back to the sting of death is sin. Think about a wasp. The sting of death is sin. So sin is like the little wasp that comes to sting you, stings you, and when he stings you, you die. This is sin. And also James talks about that, brings forth sin unto death, James 1, 14, 15. So sin stung us and brought death. The only antidote to this death is the blood of Jesus Christ. But notice that the strength of the, the, the wasp the power of the poison that he's putting in our veins that's killing us is coming from the law. The strength of, the, of sin is the law. This doesn't mean the law is sinful. It just means that that's the mechanism that the enemy uses to bring his um, requests before God that we die. He says, yeah, they sinned, God. You, you know, I have a right to ask for their death. God, they're... You know, they sin against you. Um, they need to die. You said the wages of sin is death. Um, so Satan is always trying to use our sin to build his case uh, and our, our behavior as evidence he presents to the Father about us not being worthy of anything except death. So the law is very helpful to the devil. As a matter of fact, when Jesus died on the cross, he said the law is fulfilled. It's all compl- completed settled it's satisfied but the devil wasn't ready to let the law go just yet because it was very helpful to him because he can always hit people with you should have look at what you know you made you you disobeyed god you disobeyed the 10th you know the 10 commandments you are now um in trouble you know you say i'm so tired of hearing about this but i you know what if you if you really understand what this whole relationship with Jesus Christ is, it's based on love and mercy and God's goodness. And then your life will be livable. It will be, you'll be able to live it. If you don't understand it, you're going to constantly not like yourself. You're going to constantly go into the place of guilt and condemnation. Let's move over for example, for a minute into um, Isaiah. And you can call me anytime, 347-215-8051. Three four seven two one five eight zero five one. That would be a very good idea. So going back to Isaiah forty five, he says not even in the Old Testament we have the whole plan of salvation basically laid out. Now we don't have the the details, but we have the general picture of it, so that it's not a big surprise. In Isaiah forty five, the word says, um, starting verse twenty two, he says um, now. God says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Look to me. Did he not do that very thing when the children of Israel were being bit by the fiery serpents? 
He told Moses to what? Go bring out the vaccinations, you know, vaccinate them, uh, you know, give them their their, um, anti-viper shot. You know, what did he say? He said, make a pole, put a bronze serpent on it, and have them look at the pole. Look, wherever they are. They don't even have to touch it. They don't even have to walk towards it. Just look at the pole. What does this mean? This means that they weren't saved by any, you know, physical contact, any medicines, anything but an act of obedience, which actually then canceled out their murmuring and disobedience, which gave God then the right to set them free from the sting of the viper. So right there in Exodus, you have the first, you know, you know, uh, parable, um, or not even a parable. It's actually the story of, of, uh, of how this works. And so he says, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. But what's the problem nowadays? Everybody's trying to get saved some other way. As we were talking last week, people are trying to live on into immortality through um, all kinds of physical, uh, biological, chemical, you know, manipulations of the DNA and whatnot in order to bypass death and um, do, take a shortcut so they don't have to come through Jesus Christ, the door. He says, for I am God and there is no other. There's no other God. You know, we make a lot of gods. We make problems our gods. We make fear our God. We make ourselves our God. We make not liking ourselves our distraction and our God. We make worry our God. We make worship our God. But there's only one God, and he is. He, he loves us. He cares about us, even from the very beginning he has never wavered. He's never changed. And the things he had to do in the Old Testament are no different than your, if you had a good dad who loved you a lot and he loved you so much that he couldn't let you just go on and kill yourself or be stupid or whatever he had to discipline you to, to train you. That's no different than God. And he did those things to, you know what, um, if, you're, if you were growing up, let's just say you lived out in the, um, um, you know, in the big north woods and and your dad was protecting you one day and he had to kill a bunch of coyotes or there was a big bear that was coming at you and your dad killed the bear. Would you say, wow, dad, you're really bloody and mean. You're really cruel. You, you killed that bear. What's, you know, how can I trust you? How can I, how can I love you? How can I rest in you because you, you're so bloody? That's exactly, you know, these big bears, giants, if you will, um, uh, transhumans, whatever. We're all Nephilim. We're all coming after us. And God had to clear the deck. And you say, well, what is she talking about? Well, give me a call and ask me. <laughs> Going on. Are you listening? Are you there? Um, God says, I, there, I'm God and there's no other. In other words, this is, I, that was the very first commandment. I, I am the Lord your God. There's no other gods. have no other gods before me. There is no other God. But when we start adding or, you know, God plus, uh, you know, our own little household God, you know, um, rabbit's foots, uh, little whatever kind of, you know, lucky charms, crossing our fingers, trying to, you know, what do you, what do you say? What are you doing? Are you looking to a rabbit to get you some luck so that you'll be okay? Are you looking to an idol? Are you looking to a bag of gold coins? Are you looking to uh, connections with famous people? What, 
he says, I am God. There's no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall take an oath. In other words, ultimately, I, ho- I know the devil's got knees and he's going to bow. He's going to bow before the Lord God. Everybody's going to bow. Everybody, even the people that you think are so arrogant and so whatever, everybody's going to bow and acknowledge God as God. But then at that point, it will be too late. It'll be too late. You'll have lost your opportunities. um, And worse still, you might have lost your salvation. But bow before him now. Come before him and say, Lord, have mercy upon me. Every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness. In the Lord I have righteousness. My righteousness and, and strength. My righteousness, my goodness, my self-worth, my esteem, my value is in him. I, it's not about me. It's not about how many of you are just eaten up with guilt. Guilt is the fruit of of the counterfeit gospels. You say, well, what about people who sin? What about having a conscience? You know all those guiltless gospels that the, they preach out there where people just can get by with anything. Well, you know, if you love the Lord, why would you want to get by with anything? That isn't even a consideration because some people need the law because they don't have love doesn't mean the people who love need the law because if you are loving God, you're, you're going to fulfill a greater law than the Ten Commandments. He says, but in, in him, in God, I have righteousness. That's where I get my worth, my value. Um, and how many of us really, really are every day? I mean, the lies of the devil are so, they're so common. They're so boring. They're so the same. Everybody gets slapped with not good enough. Not good enough is based on what? Performance, failure, guilt, breaking, failing to keep the law. So the devil has to have the law so that he can make you feel bad. And then if he can make you feel bad, then he can help you, you know, try to convince you to change your, your divine nature into one of, I've got to instead of I am. I got to do this. I got to be better. I got to, it's up to me. He says, to him, God, men shall come and shall, and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. Anybody who is rejecting this gospel of grace, Anybody who even subtly rejects it, you know, anybody who's incensed against God, insulted God's grace, insulted his righteousness, insulted his, his gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, anybody who's insulted him, what's going to happen to them? Can they be justified for insulting God? You know, it's not going to be nice. Now, remember, when, when Jesus was here, he was aware of all of this himself, and he said, be aware, he says, wolves will come in sheep's clothing. What are, the, what are the wolves doing with the sheep? Think about it. They're hanging out with the sheep. What are they trying to do? Look like the sheep, blend in with the sheep, so they can what? Watch over the sheep? Now, he's talking about that, what's wolves in sheep's clothing? He was just talking about, you know, the, you know, the good shepherd being the good shepherd. And so who are the wolves then? They're coming in among the flock of believers, innocent, vulnerable, you know, naive, 
docile, unsuspecting sheep. Sheep have such a hard time protecting themselves. They're the most vulnerable of all the animals. And, but God said that the wolves would come. Jesus said. And then Paul said the same thing in Acts 20, 29. He said, savage wolves will come in soon after I leave. Or they've already come in, not sparing the flock. You know, that was, Satan could not wait. He could not allow this gospel of grace to take root in the hearts of mankind because then there would be, uh, they'd be won over to God. And so he had to root up, pluck out, snatch out the word of God's grace as fast as he could. And you know how he does that? You know, when, you're, when you can't read the Bible, you're distracted, you don't remember what you read, you don't remember what you heard, you just feel guilty, you're reading it, but you, you're just not there. Um, he's snatching the word out of your mind. So you don't even think about, you don't even think about what you're reading. Um, that's one of the ways he snatches the word from us. And the word then cannot bring forth any fruit. So if you can't read the word or it doesn't stick with you or it doesn't mean anything to you or you just do it out of a sense of duty, you need to cry out to the Lord and tell God that you, he's got to deal with the snatcher, the, the, the thief who snatches the word out of your mind. And a lot of other people, because we have a spirit that uh, the, the enemy mixes grace with works, as according to Romans, Romans 11, um, 1 through 11, we get a spirit of stupor on us. We're just, we're, we're duh. I mean, how many people that you know of really get this? Do you really get this? If you really got the right gospel, you're going to see the fruit of that gospel. It's a gospel of rest and peace and goodwill. It's a gospel of forgiveness. It's a gospel of uh, no panic. It's a gospel of trusting God. It's a gospel of being okay when everything around you is not okay. That's the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in him, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, call me, 347-215-8051. I'm sure there's somebody out there who disagrees with me. (laughs) Come on on and talk about it. You know, maybe you have a good point, and maybe the point you have is the very thing that's holding you up and keeping you from recognizing this emergency, this subtle emergency that's eroding away your soul, your opportunities. If you don't like the way your life is going, if you're sad, you're miserable, you're afraid, you're feeling guilty and condemned all the time, or on the other side, you don't want to feel guilty, and so you're driven like a madman to be good enough. You're driven to do it all. You're driven by the fear of hellfire and damnation, or you don't care. You're driven or don't care. Neither one of those are the fruits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, um, Jesus said, actually, don't be deceived. Matthew 24. Guess what? Don't be deceived. Many will come in my name. Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name. So the big deception, the big battle, the big contest is over. Number one, who is he? Who is Jesus Christ? Is he over there? Is he at that meeting? You know, where is he? What's he doing? You know, don't, he says, don't go running everywhere. Just hang out with me. You'll be fine. But he said that deception was going to be a number one indication of the end times, that people would be deceived about him. That's crazy. 
I mean, we think about being deceived by a lot of people and, you know, things like, you know, people taking advantage of other people and selling them things and suckers and sharks and all kinds of stuff. But we don't, what about being deceived about who is Jesus? I mean, we're going to be so unable to discern the true Jesus Christ that will fall for the impersonators and the imposters and the angels of light. Yeah, that's exactly where we're at exactly where we're at. And you know, a lot of people, they don't want to be lied to, so they don't listen to anything. They just hold up in their little holes and, you know, whatever they do. Um, Now, in Acts 20, verse 32, let's go there for a second. Paul is saying another thing. He says, okay, these wolves are going to come in. You know, they're already here, basically. But he says, I commend you to the grace of God. I commend you to the grace. I'm, I'm, putting you in the trust and the care of God's grace. Even though things are going to get tight, things are going to be intense, I'm going to commit you to God. He says, for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. I mean, you think um, I shouldn't be, um, you know, whatever, annoyed, upset that I've said this more than once. I've said this more than twice. Paul was saying it for three years. <laughs> I ain't said it for three years yet. And, I, you know, he had tears going on. I mean, he was, this was important. This was bottom line the most important thing, you've got to get the right gospel, people. You've got to get, and you know what? Maybe that's why it's getting to me, because I read about Paul a lot, and maybe it's kind of wearing off and uh, rubbing off on me. Now, therefore, brethren, I commend you to, I commend you, not command you, commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Is that what your gospel is doing for you? Is it building you up or wearing you out? Is it giving you an inheritance or is it stripping from you even that which you have now to pay for something that you already have? You know, like watch when he says most believers are struggling to get into a room they're already in. Are you struggling to pay for your salvation when it's already yours? A free gift. This inheritance to those who are sanctified. If you have the right gospel, you are going to have peace. You're going to have personal value. You're going to have peace in who you are, and, and you're going to have peace about what God calls you to do. So we're coming. Well, what about that? No, I mean, if you give people grace, you know, they're just going to go off and sin. Um, you know, but, well, what about you know God again? He says He's the Savior. There's none beside Him. Our help, our help is from God. He's our Redeemer. He's paid our ransom and brought us back from the grave. Um, you know. And guilt, in Hosea chapter 13, verse 16, let's look at that, for, at verse 16, he says, guilt comes from, um, Samaria is held guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. So here you have it, guilt comes from rebelling against God. Um, people who are feeling guilty have rejected God's salvation, and they're now trying to figure out how to be good enough themselves. Um, sometimes, you know, people accuse us of stuff that we didn't do. And 
we have to go to court to prove we're not guilty. But are we guilty simply because someone makes an accusation against us, including someone in your own mind? Does the spirit, the, the, this impersonator of you, the strong man, per, first person impersonator, make an accusation of you? You're stupid. You're never going to make it. There's something wrong with you. And that, you know, you're guilty of, you know, what, not being perfect. I mean, it's like living in a mud puddle and trying to be spotless. God has given us water to wash. He's given us the word of God to be cleansed through that. He's given us a rock, Christ Jesus, to stand on, to lift us up out of that muck. So our innocence comes from God's knowing who we are. The devil doesn't want you to know you're good or loved. So when charges are pressed against us, are we guilty just because the charges were pressed against us? Well, a lot of people believe that. You know, think, what will they say? What am I going to do? You know, the, just because the devil is the accuser of the brethren doesn't mean everything he accuses you of is true. Because, number one, you see, and he, he's very clever, though. We talked last week and the week before about it's my choice. It was my choice. Well, it was your choice. But when you have a you desire to do the right thing and you have someone come by and use that desire against you to deliberately lie to you, trick you, using your motivation to do the right thing, to trick you into doing the wrong thing, whose fault is it? Who's really, I mean, yeah, you used your choice, you made a decision. But before you made the decision, did you want to be deceived? Did you say, oh, please deceive me, devil. I just, I just need to be deceived right now. I would love it if you would just deceive me so I can make this wrong choice so I can sit my life out in a, in, a, in a bed of affliction. And then on top of it all, you think God's the one punishing you because you're, you know, you're bad when in fact the devil's punishing you and make you think it's God's punishment because you broke the law. What did I tell you about the law again? What did I say about the law? It's been taken care of, right? So if it's taken care of, then when you sin, what did God say to do? Do penance? You know, put in your request and he'll take them. How do they do that on the phone? You know, 20-minute wait, 40-minute wait, um, in the order received. You know, God will answer you. Give him 24 hours to figure it out if he's going to forgive you or not. God says confess. He's faithful and just forgive Does anybody really listen to what God says? No. What do we do? We make stuff up in our heads. Or the devil makes stuff up in our head, and then we just go along with it like zombies. We don't say, wait a minute, who's talking to me? Who said that? But here's the deal. So, you know, people, well, you know, they're talking about, well, you know, you go into one of them guiltless churches where everybody can just sin it up and, and everybody's, you know, just, you know, basically carnal. Is that what a guiltless church is? Is that a slumbering church. I think some people are oversensitive to guilt and some people don't even have a clue what guilt is. But the whole point is neither one of those justifies taking on a different presentation of the gospel than the one that the Lord God has given us. We cannot, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not built on fear and coercion. It's, you know, if you don't accept Jesus, you're going to go to hell. No, that's not the gospel. That wasn't the message of Jesus Christ. His message is, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. How many people are mad at God because they haven't even heard the right gospel? They've heard a demonic gospel, a counterfeit gospel, attribute it to God, and now they're going to stay away from God because he's mean. He's just, he's just you know, he's a, he's a killjoy, 
and he's a bully and you got to do it his way or he'll throw you into hell. Does that make sense? Would you treat your own children like that? If you would, then you are insane and a bully. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, okay, you got God wants us to love him. Do you grab your girlfriend around the neck and grab her and, by, and say, you're going to love me? Do you hear? You are going to love me. That's not love. That's fear. That's in, intimidation. That's coercion. That's blackmail. It's whatever it is, force. It's not love. God cannot grab us around the throat and say, you're going to go to hell if you don't, come, if you don't love me. That's not, that's the, you know, God is about love. God wants you to freely come to him with and recognize how wonderful how sweet and precious, um, long-suffering, how great is his loving kindness towards us. So love doesn't work where there's guilt and coercion. And so God has got to, but, but, but guilt comes out. What is guilt anyway? Well, let's see. Um, the definition of guilt is um, being responsible for uh, a crime. Uh, feeling bad, uh, feeling of, uh, aware of wrongdoing. What is guilt? Awareness of wrongdoing, committed, committing a crime, um, accompanied by feelings of shame and regret. It can be the admission of wrongdoing or the responsibility, taking responsibility in wrongdoing. So guilt is about wrongdoing, doing wrong, doing it wrong, making a wrong choice, and then you know having to face the music, admit it, and take responsibility, yes, yes, but how do we do that? How does God say to uh, take responsibility? He says confess, he says forsake, he says um, repent. He doesn't say, okay, now you're going to have to do community service for the next 40 years. Okay, Um, so guiltless or guiltlessness is not taking responsibility or being responsible for a crime or wrongdoing, not deserving blame or criticism. So Jesus said, lovely verse in Matthew 12. Um, oh, this, you got to read Matthew 12. That's a very good chapter. You know, if you don't know where to start, start with one of the Gospels and just read them. Just take off your religious glasses and read. Because you know what? You're going to need to know about God more than you're going to need to know about, you know, who's on Saturday Night Live. I tell you that for sure. And uh, I don't even know if Saturday Night Live is on anymore. I don't know who it is, but I know that's a TV show or was or something. Um, you know, don't ever put me on one of them trivia games, uh, who's who and what's what in the trivia world of trivia. Because <laughs> it's, it's trivia. I don't care about it. Anyway, so he says here, verse 7, 12, 7, Matthew. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. In other words, if you understand what God's really about, what he really wants here is mercy and not sacrifice. What's sacrifice? Well, is it 200 sheep today? Is it a, you know, penance and genuflecting? Is it uh, going to church? Is it, you know, tithes and offerings? Is it, you know, working in the nursery? Is it reading my Bible? Is it being good? Is it, you know, is it getting rid of my, you know, bad habit, whatever what is it? He, he says, I desire mercy. A lot of your bad habits, by the way, you should get the cravings manual. A lot of your bad habits are just simply the, the demons who are getting by with stuff because you don't know it's a demon and you think it's you. And they are just bullying you and controlling you and programming you. And it's just a joke. 
you, you know, I mean, it's a joke because it's a joke on us. Because we, we have tools. God says, I've given you power to cast out demons. Now, again, here's another thing. Why did God say that? Why did God say, I give you power over all the power of the enemy? Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Go preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. If people don't have demons, then why did he say to do it? You know, either God makes sense or he's insane. And, um, you know, he created everything. If you just look at a few things, just check it out. Just do a little observation. Pick up a, a dandelion if you want to and just look at it for a second and see uh, this is pretty far out. This is pretty intense. This is pretty complicated. Um, and how does it keep growing out of the ground like that without, you know, I mean, it just, were, what's power there? Or, or, or just to, just look at the trees or the changing of the color of the leaves or the, the, the water that comes out of the clouds that waters our garden. God, the stars, look at any of it. Tell me he's not worthy to be praised and thanked. And really, if he's that big and that great, do you really have any problems if he loves you? I mean, not really. So Jesus says, I would have mercy and not sacrifice. I don't care about all your sacrifices. The sacrifices have been made. I've made the sacrifice. You would, but, but if you keep looking for something to... The law, okay, you broke this law, you broke that law, you're bad, 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 bad. Where do you, how, how do you ever get out of that? How do you, the only way you can get out of that, if you're going to do the law thing, you've got to do it all perfect and you can never break the law again. How can you do that? How do you do that? You can't. You're going to break the law again. You're going to do some stupid thing. And then all of a sudden, there you are, back to square one again. So I've got to do more penance. He, he doesn't want us to condemn one another. He wants us to forgive one another. So is there anybody in there who wants to talk to me? Anybody checking it out? 347-215-8051. You guys are just quiet. All right. So what is sin then? Um, it's hard, you know, um, Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, you know, as some people say, well, we got to, you know, Grace is going to cover everything. We can just do what we want to do. We don't have to change. We don't have to reform. We don't have to change our minds. We don't have to stop believing the lies. We just go ahead and sin, and and you know, and it'll be fine, because it'll be fine. Now, people who drive too fast, break the driving rules, go through red lights. Um, let's just call that sinning for a minute. And there's laws and rules. How how long will that grace abound towards them? What? You get what? You get caught once in a while. Okay, so so you get caught once in a while, but you say, and the, the, the officer, you know, lets you off and doesn't write a ticket. That's, that's mercy. That's grace. You say, oh, good. But you didn't learn anything from all that. So you go and do it again. And pretty soon you really get messed up. Maybe you wreck the car. Maybe you kill somebody. Maybe you run. Into, and, you know, that doesn't mean... A lot of people out there, just don't get me wrong, a lot of into accidents too. And that's not about, you know, being reckless. It's just about, you know, the trials of our life, our faith. But so when, when, we're, when we're, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, pressing, pushing on, pushing the envelope, seeing how far we can go uh, to see how far God's grace will extend to us well. I would say, you know, if anything, that is just plain foolishness on our part. 
so that grace will abide. So we're going to keep sinning so we can have more grace. Is that how we get grace? Is that why we keep grace going? Certainly not. Grace is not a cover-up for sin. It does not condone bad behavior. Grace is really forgiveness in action. And it's the removal of guilt and the absolving from sin. You know, God forgives us because he knows how naive we are and how unaware unsuspecting we are of the big spiritual battle that's going on. But when you just look into that a little bit, open your eyes, if you dare peek into that place, if you will, and look at what's really going on out there in the big picture of the, the cosmic battle between God and Satan and what's going down and what's coming at us. I mean, it, it's, it's the mercy of God that we're still here, actually, truly. Sin is really about, really, what is sin about? It's, it's what is sin? It's about believing the lie. And coming into agreement with the devil's solutions to your problem. So when you get set up with a problem, which of course the devil set you up with the problem, initiated by himself to, you know, to test you, uh, to trap us, trip us up, um, and get us to sin or get us to give up or get mad or go away, um, then, by the way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of forgiveness but the devil's gospel is there's no forgiveness. There's no get it. You know, you just you get mad, you give up, you you go away, and you gossip. You just you're mad. You know, look at this one, look at that one. Judge, 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 and you're not. It's, do you like that? Does that feel good? Is that where you want to live? And a lot of us think that if we're feeling good, that we're we are good. And feelings has nothing to do with being good. What God says has everything to do with being uh, free. And truth brings freedom. So if you're in sin, you're believing the lie. And by the way, what are the lies? Going back to the basic primary lies, again, the number one lie uh, that has to do with us, well, there's actually two. One is the, the, the lie that has to do with who you are. Who are you? Are you uh, a, a loser? Are you afraid of other people judging you? Do you judge them? Uh, this judging has got to stop. Number one, Paul says, I'm going to read it to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Just write it down. Read it later. You've got a lot of homework here tonight. Um, too bad I can't give you a test. Well, I'm sure the Holy Spirit, he'll bring it back to your mind when you need it. It's all good. All right, 1 Corinthians, he says, chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Here's his job. Here's why he's here. He's not here to be good. He's here to be a steward of the mysteries of God. That's about God's love and God's power and God's coming again. By the way, Jesus is coming again. That's exciting. Moreover, it is, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithful. Not necessarily responsible, but faithful. But what, what with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by being ignorant. But he who judges me is the Lord. So, therefore, judge nothing before the time, including yourself, until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, and then each one's praise will come from God. Now, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit isn't going to be there to grow you up and, and and uh, and bring you to some wisdom. Yeah, I got somebody. Oh, who's here? Hello? Hey, I'm here. Can okay, you hear me? And w- yep, I can sure hear you. Hi. 
How, how are you tonight? Good. And I'm thinking a lot about what you're saying here and wondering why the message isn't getting through to so many people that I know. And I think mm-hmm. part of it might be that a lot of the people I know are thinking, well, if I can be good enough so that I'm over the 51%, um, and so so they're yeah. misinterpreting God. Yeah. So, you, is there a scripture for that 51%? I mean, do they people actually, is there a verse that they can... See, when people, they, they, they're just making things up in their heads or the devil's making things up, and I totally get you. I think it's the way we're raised. We're raised like, okay, be good. Kids... Be good, you know, and if we're not good, there's punishments and there's, you know, um, grounding and there's, you know. So everywhere you you look, it's reinforced with that be good kind of got to be good. If I'm not good, I'll get in trouble. And therefore, it's so, so, so simple for the devil to um, put us up against the law. We get in trouble and now, you know, we, we fail to keep the law. We disobeyed. We screwed up. And now we're in trouble with God. Um, so I think and the one church of the reasons... reinforces that. Oh, the you know, the church, church Sunday yeah. school teachers have t- told us that for years, that if you yeah. sin, God will be mad. That's absolutely correct. And, and, and so how can kids, you know, simple, innocent, little precious kids, I know kids who um, they, they felt like they had committed basically the unpardonable sin by the time they're five, six, seven years old. Because they got a wild-eyed parent spanking the, the the life out of them, and they're broken. Their spirits are broken. They don't even know where to turn to the next. You know, they don't know how to repair. I mean, or kids who get abused or whatever. How do they get back into that place of being good when now they're bad and their innocence has been destroyed? Um, there's right. no recourse for them. So what do they do? Well, what I'm wondering is. As an adult, how do you recommend people um, let go of that churchy way of thinking that they learned as a child? Well, first of all, I think we have to start at the end. The end is what's the fruit of what you're doing? What is you know if if your fruit isn't good, then then you go back and say, okay, th- this tree needs something. This tree isn't giving me what I need. This fruit isn't good. This this my my doctrines, my beliefs are something's haywire here. Um, so, so you look at the fruit. Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it forgiveness? Is it the love of God? Is it trusting God, resting in Him, or is it agitation, irritation, um, bitterness? I, I, ultimately, there's two things going on that are con- uh, contrary. You've got the Holy Spirit constantly leading a person into all truth and peace and rest and revelation, but with all of the fiery trials and the persecutions people that people are attributing to God or to God being mad at them or them being in trouble and not rightly dividing that Paul was sitting in prison and he wasn't saying, Oh man, I messed up. God's mad at me. He was saying, Hey, I'm suffering here because I have done, been doing it right. This is a privilege. You know, uh, some people are getting so what, inspired by my chains. Go ahead. What do you think then? Are people not believing that if they repent that God really did forgive them? Yeah, I think that's a part of it. Uh, I don't know, you know, uh, because, again, God forgives us, but 
we're deluged by it's like um you know at the sea at the ocean at the shore you've got this little starfish he's in the sand and and he's you know the at the tide goes out and he's he's in the sun and he's you know he's he's fine and he's out there and everything's happy and before he gets a chance to you know establish himself in that place the tide comes back rushing in to cover him up again and and the same with our our souls come the guilt the shame the condemnation comes rushing back over our spirits to try to um cover up or assault or resist the idea of being okay we're just not okay with being okay because the familiar spirits don't want us to ever be okay with that because then we actually turn our attention towards what Jesus said to do which was preach the gospel. Right now, most of our Christian attention is turned at uh, turned um, uh, towards sin, getting rid of sin, and mm-hmm. being good enough, and be uh, a saint. Yeah, yeah, we are saints. You know, we're, we're not perfect. Paul wasn't perfect. I mean, here he is in Romans seven, he's saying, "Who will deliver me from this body of death?" I'm doing things I don't want to do. Now, what is he talking about? Obviously, he's talking about sinning. Doing something he doesn't want to do that he hates. That's right. that, Why don't we listen to these people? Why? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it's the church. The church reads the Bible according to their denomination, according to what they, they don't really rightly divide the word of God, the full counsel of God. It's um, so I see it. You see it. It's very detrimental um, because these people are going to be just the, the they're they're bound. They they can't get out and be productive in their lives because they're too bad. God's too mad at them. Um, they've got to be good enough first, and it's just so it's so futile. I mean, it's such a waste of time. I remember when I was first saved. Um, I got saved in a very legal. Well, I was Catholic for a while, and then I got saved. And well, I think I was saved when I was a Catholic, but I didn't. Little kid didn't know you could be saved. So. Uh, if I'd have died, I'm sure Jesus would have took me to heaven, but I didn't know you could be saved. But anyway, so when I finally got saved or aware of the word and could, you know, make a decision um, and get baptized, I actually saw that there was a, a lot of, um, you know, pressure on me to be good, according to right. these religious churches. And right. I was like freaking out. I was, felt myself getting a little OCD on some things. It's like, I mean neurotic, nervous, worried, always damn myself, always, you know, freaking out about what I'm doing. And I read this book by Watchman Nee called Changed Into His Likeness, and I realized he said in there basically that perfection, sanctification, is the job of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, oh, there's like a little light bulb when I said, oh, Holy Spirit, he's got that job. That's his job, not my job. So then I was a little more at peace about it, and I just kind of lightened up on it. And, and I, people around me weren't getting it, but I got it, and so I at least I was happy with And then I think once you get it, you begin to receive other revelations from God because you're not all blocked up, you know, right? right. So when you, I, one thing you want to do is pray for your people, and I pray this a lot, that God will give them eyes to see, ears to hear, bind the demons that snatch, the binds the demons that makes the, uh, the religious demons that create all these false doctrines and loose the revelation of Jesus Christ for your people. Just loose Jesus. We pray right now for all these people that are represented by our caller and for our dear loved ones are in our own families 
that are still, you know, basically believing the church lies and afraid to really know they're loved, afraid to really be okay, afraid to let your Holy Spirit perfect that which concerns them. Lord, I pray that you take away these fears so we will be free to learn, to know, to respond, to resonate with your love for us because that can't be done when the law is there. The law just distracts everything. Um, Jesus, you fulfilled the law. I'm not here to try to keep the law. I'm here to be who you created me to be and to listen to you. So, Lord, we pray for these people as well, that they be set free from the legalism of this guilt. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I wanted to comment on, you said, um, he who judges me is the Lord, but Mm -hmm. if I don't have a proper understanding of who the Lord is, is it not going to get me into being afraid of the Lord? I mean, I... I honestly think that the biggest problem of all is that we don't really know who God is. That's right. Well, we don't know who we are. We don't know who God is. And so, but the Lord is just. And, you know, I've been lately, a lot of these injustices that are happening to people, people being slammed and persecuted and falsely accused and and just kind of distracted with all this, this junk that's coming at them. I'm beginning to say, God, you vindicate yourself because you're a righteous judge here and this is this is totally out of line. This is totally not in accordance with your will. So as you are a righteous judge, not only will you validate us and vindicate us, but vindicate yourself in this matter because God then becomes the bad guy. He becomes the, I mean, it's just, you, you almost wish you could just, you know, I don't know, give them a brain transfusion or something where they they could get this thing through the word of God it, it just there's so much of a blindness and so much of a barrier to just knowing the goodness of God, and so therefore we see God is the big bad judge. God is, yeah, He's going to judge um, the unrighteous deeds of men, and yet He gives us many many chances to repent. And for the righteous, um, what's going to be judged as far as our works go is in terms of what's what are the what's what's its value. In terms of is it wood, hay, stubble, is there a reward connected with it? It's not a judgment that will cast us out of hell because we don't have enough good works. You know, we're not there earning brownie points to get to heaven. But once you're in, it's like, it's, you know, this dumb example just came to my mind. Once you're, um, you know, you go to a restaurant, you go to the grocery store, and they have these little coupons, these little you punch, you know, in your, every time you get, 17 purchases then you get a free something or other well you got to be a member of this club or this grocery store you have to have purchased you have to be in before you get the 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 little coupon or the little ticket we're in we're in with god through salvation and now our little punch cards you know what you know (laughs) that's the reward stuff now you you know get buy one get six free or whatever you got but yeah it's, it's like that's rewards that's not about Am I going to heaven and getting to heaven isn't anything to do with me earning it. It just I can't say it enough. But it seems like I you know, like I said, Paul he said it for three years and he was saying it with tears, maybe that's what it'll take. But again it gets to be the point where you're missing the whole gospel if you don't get this. Right. You know? Do you think some of it is even comes down like our um our Scandinavian line or our German line or whatever? 
absolutely, in terms of absolutely. our opinion about God. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So much comes down our bloodlines. It's just scary. Um, for example, the Scandinavian people um, are so, you know, what are four words that would describe them? Well, they're, they're um, quiet. Stoic. Stoic. Yeah. They don't show, the, show their emotions. Um, they're very perfectionistic, very afraid of what other people are thinking of them all the time. That's their primary focus, which is so annoying because it's so unimportant what people are thinking about you. But, you know, you're so worried that you're going to be judged by someone else that you just are, you know, always trying to be the perfect person, the perfect hostess, have the cleanest house, have the nicest hot dish at the at the church supper, whatever. And and people don't even like hot dish. But anyway, um, I do, though. I mean, I don't mind. Food's food. But anyway, <laughs> some food. I won't eat everything, though. Uh, but but nonetheless, you know, everything's got to be just perfect so I don't get judged. But at the on the other hand, they're spending all their time judging everybody else. They're right. afraid of being judged and they're judging. And what a waste of time. Now, this is a very binding. This is very, um, uh, what's the word? It, it, it's distracting. It weakens us. It's uh, not what we're called to do. It's a time waster. It's uh, incriminating. And the devil loves it. Now, you know, Germans have their own problems. They're bullheaded and stubborn, and you know, we can tell them anything. And you've got the Italians, and they're always freaking out and flipping out and, you know, playing the gangster somewhere. And you've got the, you know, the, the English are very stoic. The Spanish are very passionate, you know. I mean, you just got, everybody's got their vulnerable spots. And it doesn't make you better or worse than anybody else. And it does, there's not one nationality that's better than the other. They've all been pretty much... Uh, claimed by the devil, and you know you've got the Swedish demons, and you've got the German demons, and you've got the—I mean, these are powers and principalities over these countries, and the, the the country actually takes the the negative look. These stereotypical negatives are from the demons, the princes over them. I shouldn't say demons; I should say the angels, the princes over them, because uh, the prince of the, the prince of power of the air, the prince of um, uh, Persia, princes of, of Greece—they all have. You know, for example, the princes over some of those countries that are fighting constantly, um, the warring spirits, spirits of conflict, bitterness, hatred, murder, violence, that's their demons. That's their demons. And that comes down their bloodline. So I don't know if that answers your question or just makes more questions. But, um, yeah, judging is a waste of time. I don't even judge myself, Paul says. And yet how many people are, are subtly, constantly not thinking about how much God loves them, they're thinking about what they did wrong today. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, sadness. All right. Well, thank you. Is there anything else you want to say? You know, we'll, um, we can chit-chat about it. Or I'm, I, you know, it's, it is a frustrating thing. Uh, sorry about frustrating. is not from God. So you know what? I've got to bottom line it and say, well, it's God's problem. If God wants these people to know who he really is and who they really are, then he's going to have to reveal Jesus to them. Now he's given me part of that. I can be part of that by praying for them, by preaching, by sharing. But bottom line, I've got to love them. I love them. I love them, and that love is going to open their eyes and open their hearts to their to, that you know that they need love themselves. You know, right, uh, right. So yeah. So thank you for calling well, in. Well, I did. Um, I have a neighbor who's. 102-year-old husband died last week. And I ran into her today in the driveway. And 
I asked how she was doing, and she just kind of wistfully said, well, I, I wonder what life is about. Now, she's 20 years younger, <laughs> so she's 81. And she said, I'm just kind of wondering about mm-hmm. life. And, you know, with a question or two, I discovered that she was raised German uh, Lutheran. But um, they never, ever went to church, never talked about God. <clears throat> and now mm-hmm. she's kind of wondering, well, will I ever see my husband again and that sort of thing? And I do think it's God's opportunity for me to mm-hmm. um, tell her. Mm-hmm. About the truth of the word, but when I when I suggested to her that the one thing that I would do is to, I would go alone in my house and say, "God, are you real mm-hmm. or aren't you real?" Mm-hmm. And then I would I would find a Bible around the house somewhere, and I would say, "God, they told me that you wrote this book. Mm-hmm. Now I need you to tell me: Are they right, or or is this you in here?" And mm-hmm. op- and then say, God, I'm going to open this book. I want you to show me that you're real. You know. Mm-hmm. So she's open to, you know, doing that much. But she, of course, has no idea what the true gospel story is. She's she remembers mm-hmm. learning uh, rites and rituals and and uh, catechism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and that obviously didn't didn't you know. 60 years of rites and rituals hasn't even got her one step closer to knowing if she's Well, I don't a, think she's been to a church in 60 years. Yeah, but well, she remembers growing said, up but, with the rites and rituals. No, yeah, so. but see, the thing is, all that's, that indoctrination, that programming has not done any good for her at all. It's really done nothing for her. Um, and the fruit of it is just an emptiness. It's a, it's a futility. It's a, a fear. Um, and it's surely she doesn't know the love of God. Jesus is incredibly full of love and compassion. Um, but you know, love is. You can talk about love. You can you can watch Hallmark movies about love. You can do all kinds of. But until you feel it, until you have experienced it yourself from Jesus, it's it's just mo- mostly just words. It's mostly words. People trying to get grasp this through understanding in, instead of through an impartation um, from the Holy Spirit. So you pray for her um, and for the many, many like her. Uh, yeah. We don't get any, any, I mean, the loving kindness of God because we're just so overwhelmed with the many things that look like they're contradictions. And, and you know, you can spend forever in a day explaining them. As a matter of fact, I, I would encourage people, I'll just take a little time here to do a quick commercial break, but I, I really encourage people to check out our website, um, liferecovery.com. We have got a lot of blogs on there. I've j- just written one on, um, it's, it was his choice. And, uh, you know, we are so quick to, to judge other people not knowing the true circumstances um, of what's, why people do what they do. But God knows the hearts. He knows everything. So I encourage you and your, you know, maybe you can even pray with this gal. I would say be bold, pray with her. Um, we don't have time or energy really to fix ourselves. Um, we, we, but we, and we can't give into that temptation to constantly being evaluating ourselves and basing our judgments of our Our soul is not equipped to determine our walk in the spirit. The spirit is superiorly 
And the Holy Spirit is the one who's been sent to guide us. So ask her, uh, as we end this you know, segment of the show, ask her what she, um, you know, does Jesus Christ love her? What does she know? And um, ask her to uh, ask him, where would she go if she died tonight? What does he want her to know? How do you get right. to heaven accepting right. Jesus? Get her saved and then let him take it from there. And if she's probably, you know, technically, are these people saved or not? Well, you know, I'm not going to judge whether they're not they're saved or not. Uh, I right. kind of believe that they are because they, you know, but the thing is they have no, they, it's just like they got this, you know, million dollars in the bank and they never knew it. So they live like paupers all their life. Um, you know, yeah, God, I honestly think that it has to do with being so indoctrinated with church that we don't know who God is. Yeah, we know church, but we don't know Christ. That's true. And 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 church isn't full of grace; it's full of you know absolutes and trouble. And but grace is absolutely God's plan for our survival and our salvation and abundant life. Um, it doesn't absolve us from sins or the need to repent. People are afraid that grace will do that somehow. It's going to, you know, make it so you just sin more because you don't have to worry about it now. Um, right. Grace does not promote, you know, this frivolous, loose living. Um, you know, I can sin now and ask questions later, but grace does not minimize the severity of sin. Um, grace does not overlook iniquity. As a matter of fact, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, that that pattern of iniquity is what really got them in a lot of trouble. But, you know, going back to the prophet Hosea, i got to read this, and I think we're going to kind of wrap it up with that. But um, he says in, in Hosea chapter 14, um, verse 1, O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips, which is basically praise and repentance. So he's saying, take words. And then he says, and he goes on verse 3, Assyria will not save you. In other words, this world, uh, or looking to the armies of this world, will not save you. Um, we will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the, say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods. For you are the father, for in you, in God, the fatherless find mercy. I will heal their backslidings. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. So he's saying, God is saying, bring me words. Don't look to your, the work of your own hands. Don't look to your own accomplishments as reward or idols or ways to get in. It's all worthless. Bring me words of repentance. Turn away from your backsliding. And this is this is really the gospel here in a little nutshell. Um, but if we're looking to the enemy, if you're admitting your guilt to God, it's going to bring release. If you're admitting guilt to the devil, it brings condemnation. If you admit yep. your guilt to both both of them, it brings a stalemate because the devil is going to mm-hmm. condemn you, and God, of course, forgives you. But we're stuck then. Who's you know? I got to do penance. So you bring your guilt to God and say, Lord, I've sinned. I repent. I did do a wrongdoing. I did goof up. I sinned. I believed a lie. So there you have it. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to pray and kind of end the show a little early, um, which isn't early. It's just fine. But unless there's another caller out there in caller land, 
And uh, so thank you so much for calling tonight, and we hope to, to hear from you again soon. Um, yeah, for everybody out there, you know, we've, ha- we've discussed this before. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard it. Maybe you're still pondering it. Maybe I'm just hammering away at you. I don't know. But I am excited. I like my life. It's really good. I am not irresponsible. I got more to do than I can handle. It's all good. God is good. He is a friend to me. He's, you know, he's just awesome. And so the fruit of the gospel I'm talking to you about is good. And uh, it's not to say that I never make a mistake, never get mad, or never have a moment where I'm just, you know, a little bit, uh, whatever, apprehensive or whatever. But usually that pretty much goes away after not too very long because why worry when you can pray? Why, you know, you need the peace of God. Now we need the power of God. So, Father, we're thanking you tonight for your peace, your power, and your word. Thank you, Lord, your word does not return void. Thank you, Lord, that we do not grow weary in well-doing. Because in due season, we're going to reap if we do not faint. Thank you, Lord, for the people who are listening, those who are going to um, check in, listen to the archives. And thank you again for helping us in every way. We love you, Jesus. And all of you have a good night. And if you think of us, pray for us. we got a lot of stuff going. It's all good. Amen. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.